Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Rounding the News. This is your weekly news roundup brought to you by Rounding the Earth, and I am your host, Liam Sturgis. I apologize that we had to reschedule sort of last minute. We had a bit of a crazy media situation happen up here in Canada related to the visit of one Christine Anderson, member of the European Parliament. Uh, I... Uh, I don't know what to say about it other than people are so stupid on social media sometimes. That's what I'll say for now. Um, and uh, it's been a rather disappointing day or two watching the uh, the political backlash on both sides of the so-called political paradigm, uh, neither of which is being very honest as far as I can tell. So that is why we had to reschedule. Jen Slavin in the locals chat says, yep, I see and hear you all working. Welcome, Jen, and welcome everybody. 72 Pinecones, Solar Fire, and Strata, who is watching on the roundingtheearth.locals.com chat. And that is a good reminder. If you want to support the show, let's get right into it. You can go to www.roundingtheearth.locals.com you can use promo code unflatten in order to get a free month of premium support which gives you access to our weekly live streams where we talk about stuff that's not quite appropriate or yet ready for wider consumption um, for example this past week we did a discussion uh, titled a meeting of first where we talk about a very interesting uh, public health international type meeting that happened in mid-February hosted by the World Health Organization February 2020 that is so we recommend you go there and of course if you're watching on rumble you can give us a rumble rant which is like a sponsored comment it's a great way to support the show you can also do that on rockfin and on odyssey with their various tipping functionalities Okay, so let's get into it. We have only one story for today, and it is the Project Veritas James O'Keefe ouster. So here's what it is. James O'Keefe has officially been removed from his position as CEO of Project Veritas. The move was announced by O'Keefe himself in a speech delivered to staff members at Project Veritas's headquarters uh, on Monday of last week a video of which was then shared by multiple platforms online, such as this one by Tim Poole. I've watched the whole thing. It's about half an hour long, and I found it to be enlightening. Uh, it's his take on what happened. And if you ask the board of directors, he left on his own accord. Hmm. Well, let's try to figure out what exactly happened here. But first, we have to recognize that O'Keefe's departure is the culmination of a tumultuous couple of weeks, beginning with the publication of Project Veritas's undercover report on Jordan Tristan Walker. The controversial video, as we've already discussed, portrayed Walker as a high-level executive at Pfizer, disclosing that the pharmaceutical giant was planning to conduct a form of gain-of-function research on the SARS-CoV-2 virus that he described as directed evolution, which is a term that then went viral. Now, despite some disagreements on some of the nuances of the expose, you can see this video, what Barnes is missing, as an example, the hashtag Pfizergate campaign went viral, 
and successfully put Pfizer back under important scrutiny for their role in one of modern history's largest disasters in public health and regulatory capture. Now, just over a week later, reports emerged that O'Keefe was to be placed on paid leave from Project Veritas as its board considered whether to remove him from his leadership position. According to an internal memo allegedly circulated among employees before being leaked to the public, O'Keefe was, quote, an erratic and often angry boss who berated employees and was a power drunk tyrant. Now, I said it's been a tumultuous couple of weeks. Project Veritas itself is a tumultuous organization. Even before these recent accusations, O'Keefe and Project Veritas faced down, oh, let's pick just one, legal attacks from a number of powerful opponents, including the United States government itself, who didn't take kindly to O'Keefe's unsolicited receipt of a diary alleged to be, and later confirmed to be, that of Ashley Biden, daughter of President Joe Biden. I have a message pulled up on screen uh, from O'Keefe, an internal discussion about the story at the time. I quote, team, I thought carefully on whether to release this so-called stingray story, which involves entries in a personal diary to a very public figure. My thinking and analysis in short is this, to release means the action is less wrong than the necessary wrongs that would follow if the information were not utilized and published. But in this case, even more harm would be done to the person in question and Project Veritas if we were to release the piece. We have no doubt that the document is real, but it is impossible to corroborate the allegation further. So what I'm getting at is O'Keefe decided against publishing a story on the diary, citing challenges, corroborating the salacious allegations about the president contained within. Despite this, hope, uh, this high profile controversy, O'Keefe remained secure in his position at Project Veritas. As he pointed out in his Monday staff address, the timing of the move to take him out of his position suggests instead that it was somehow related to the Pfizergate story. It was published just before this happened. O'Keefe is in good company, of course, rounding the earth was removed from YouTube immediately following my episode of Rounding the News in which I discussed the story and, weirdly, in which I cast doubts on both sides of the discussion. Um, now, that episode, of course, is available on Rumble and every other place that we publish our videos and the accompanying show notes are on Substack. So, Matthew and I... Matthew Crawford, founder of Rounding the Earth and author of the Substack series, are both very curious about how this is playing out. On Tuesday last week, Matthew posted in the Rounding the Earth Locals community the following. In general, I'm standing back from judging this circumstance, but O'Keefe's description of the board's ousting him as CEO currently puts me in a sympathetic mood. Is it that he was supported until he, min he mined the wrong vein? but nobody wants to come out and say what that vein was exactly. I have felt that way with respect to certain quarters of the medical freedom movement during the past three years. And he cites a zero hedge article uh, about James O'Keefe. So 
To begin making sense of this, I've decided to revisit a line of thinking brought up during our recent discussion with Jonathan Cooey of Giga Ohm Biological, and credit to uh, Kristen as well, the uh, uh, wonderful person who shared some uh, some initial information on what we're about to get into. And I have to go and follow up with what Kristen sent because um, I forgot to then go back and corroborate or to compare notes uh, from what she found compared to what I then found. So this will be this will be interesting now uh, to go back and do that. So what came up? The question is, who are the people responsible for ousting James O'Keefe? The answer will probably be found by examining the major donors to Project Veritas as well as their board of directors. So let's start by uh, just making sure we are all good on Rumble and Locals, and we are. Let's do this. Project Veritas as an organization. Um, it's actually made up, turns out, of two distinct not-for-profit organizations. The eponymous Project Veritas, which is a 501c3 tax-exempt organization, and the Project Veritas Action Fund, which you'll also find branded as simply Project Veritas Action. It is a 501c4 organization. So I have seen this dual structure show up often in the context of political action committees or PACs, as I'm looking into those. Um, I found this handy summary by Forbes, which lays out uh, which which lays out the differences. So 501c3 organizations are focused on activities for quote charitable as well as religious, educational, scientific, literary, public safety testing, sports competition, fostering, or animal and child cruelty prevention purposes, and can issue tax receipts to their donors but are not allowed to engage in political campaigns, endorse candidates, or fund get-out-the-vote projects if they are tied to any specific candidate. So this is solved if you're a group like Project Veritas and you are wanting to engage on the political level. This is solved by registering a separate 501c4 to conduct those activities, which allows the group to, quote, promote social welfare in an overtly political and biased arena. So there's the introduction to that. You have two separate organizations that have to be looked at here. All right, so who funds Project Veritas? So if you Google this, if you look into this for yourself, you're gonna find this story uh, or series of stories that it's Koch brother aligned uh, organizations. Um, primarily through Donors Trust and Donors Capital Fund. So the largest source of funding for Project Veritas is Donors Trust, which is a donor-advised fund that allows donors to direct their charitable contributions towards their preferred cause while lawfully masking their identity. It was described by Mother Jones back in 2013 as the dark money ATM of the right and a conservative foil to the Liberal Tides Foundation. It is associated with a similar organization called the Donors Capital Fund. A February 2013 report from the Center for Public Integrity found that the organizations were heavily influenced by money 
from the wealthy Koch brothers, who used the dark money services to, quote, push free market policies in states. Uh, it's not the only donor advised fund you have there, okay? You've got uh, the National Philanthropic Trust, Fidelity Charitable, National Christian Foundation, Schwab Charitable, that is Charles, not Klaus, the Community Foundation of North Florida, the Jewish Communal Fund, and Vanguard Charitable. These are all DAFs, donor-advised funds, that have also contributed to Project Veritas's coffers. So the point is, the people who contributed to these funds and then instructed those contributions to be given to Project Veritas, that's harder to ascertain. But we do know that these donor-advised funds actually physically gave, or maybe not physically, physically or digitally gave the money to Project Veritas. So... Um, now in project, or sorry, in 2015, Project Veritas received $20,000 from the Donald J. Trump Foundation. Trump announced, of course, his candidacy for president in June 2015. So there you go. Political benefits, perhaps. Um, according to the Center for American Progress, another large donor is the Dunn Foundation formerly named Dunn's Foundation for the Advancement of Right Thinking. It is the namesake of William Dunn, a commodities trader and, quote, free market advocate, who uses the foundation to make grants to right-of-center organizations that advance libertarian principles of free enterprise, smaller government, deregulation, private property rights, and individual liberty, and supports organizations that fight government overreach and corruption. In their words. Then you have Alston and Bird, Alston and Bird. In 2019, Project Veritas received a $1 million donation from an anonymous source via Alston and Bird, an organization that PR Watch described as a law and lobbying firm. All right. Um, so additional donors over the last several years that have been publicly disclosed and spotlighted by various sources include the American Endowment Foundation, Brad Brock Family Foundation, Bradley Impact Fund, which is a donor advised fund whose stated goal is to support efforts to inform citizens, constitutional order, free markets and civil society. The Chase Foundation of Virginia, Daniel and Susan Gottlieb Foundation, Deborah J and Peter A. McGowan Foundation, Eric O'Keefe, former member of the Libertarian National Committee, not related to James O'Keefe. The Foundation for Harmony and Prosperity, founded by California tomato magnate Chris Roofer, to work towards a world where, quote, individuals will categorically reject the use of all agents, personal, social, or political, who seek to initiate force or fraud on their behalf. Sounds pretty cool to me. Glax Endowment Fund, a private foundation in Hawaii owned by Garnet Giles, the Greater Houston Community Foundation, the Helen Diller Foundation, the James F. Cowsley Jr. Family Foundation, started by a retired Buick GMC dealer in Florida, and Making America Great, a political action committee run by Rebecca Mercer of the Mercer Family Foundation. Now, I want to put a little asterisk here because after I had finished writing the script last night, I'm just going to grab a book real quick. 
Um, after, after I finished writing this script last night, I was, for unrelated reasons, going through my copy of The Real Anthony Fauci by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Now, I wasn't overly familiar with this Mercer family. It was clear to me that they were powerful. Um, so, you know, maybe I'll, I'll, uh, I'll read you what I found in just a sec. But just to finish on this thought, uh, you've got this pack making America great, and they put together things like, for example, this uh, ad uh, from April 2017 endorsing Judge Neil Gorsuch for the Supreme Court. Now, I'm going to try to play this video. I don't know if it's going to work. Let me President know if Donald you can Trump hear it. Is changing the culture of Washington. He's challenging liberals and putting the establishment on notice. Now the media wants to stop him, but President Trump continues to fight for you, keeping his promises, delivering real change. His choice to nominate Judge Neil Gorsuch is a promise made and kept. Gorsuch has been called an extraordinary judge, undeniably impressive, brilliant. Tell your senator to support Neil Gorsuch. Okay, so um, I've confirmed with uh, help from Jen and Solar Fire that uh, the video actually gave audio, which is fantastic because that means I can put more videos natively into Canva, which is what I use for my slideshows. That's fantastic news. So here's what I didn't know about the Mercer family. Uh, well, there is actually one more item here. Um, there is Robert Mercer who is a directly a contributor through his firm Gravitas Maximus, which also holds Mercer's investments in Breitbart News, which James O'Keefe um, at one point was an employee of, I believe, and shared an office with Reliance Technologies. Okay, very popular, very, uh, or I should say powerful family. So now here's what I found. Ugh. I'll... Uh, do this. I was I was doing some work related to uh, pandemic preparedness exercises, and um, I was just skimming down. I, I'm going to read you this passage under this is page 403 under the SCL simulation 2005. Atlantic storm and global mercury were additional loud notes amplifying persistent Pentagon signals that biosecurity was the emerging growth sector for national defense. In response to such toxins, private military contractors began thronging to the pandemic surveillance and psyops sector like hogs to a corn crib. Long before Robert Mercer and his daughter Rebecca became Donald Trump's biggest private donors, and before they launched the right-wing social media platform Parler, he created the first private sector provider of psychological warfare services in 1993. The Mercer's Strategic Communication Laboratories, or SCL, group was the parent company to the notorious data-manipulating firm Cambridge Analytica. This brand new PSYOPs firm, headquartered in the UK, drew some of the largest crowds in 2005 when it set up a high-tech propaganda ops center at the UK's annual military technology showcase. Okay, so that was just, I, that was convenient timing. My eyes happened to glance over uh, the name Mercer on that page. And so 
Now I know that is significantly more important than I originally thought and originally included in the presentation. So some of you probably knew that. Um, I didn't, but there you go. Parlor. I believe Kanye West now owns it. Weird times we're living in. But there's your shout out. The real Anthony Fauci. It remains a must read. Okay, back to it. So uh, all of that said... There's a few more. Um, Robert S. and Star Pepper Foundation, the private foundation of Robert Pepper, an early pioneer in the field of semiconductors at the University of California, Davis, who later led the telecom behemoth Level One and his wife, Star. The Roland, yeah, Roland Family Foundation, founded by a retired securities accountant named Jerry Roland. And lastly, William H. Donner Foundation. So I'm, I'm, I had written, you know, I'm kind of underwhelmed by these donors, but I'm going to scrap that. Um, these are significant donors. I think I also maybe undersold in, in what I've written in my script the likely influence of the Koch brothers. And this is part of what I, part of what I want to follow up with Kristen about. And I think we're having her on again this week. So maybe that'll be something uh, for me to ask. So, uh, yeah, eh, fairly notable. Uh, welcome to everyone who's joined uh who joined us now. It was fantastic. I think I see Gabe in the house. Hello, Gabe. Okay. Um, it is clear that, uh, that, that project Veritas is political. It's that where their base is. It's an organization funded and guided by conservative American interests, which must be noted, but not condemned on its face. So long as the integrity of the organization is maintained. Right. Uh, Brownstone Institute founder Jeffrey Tucker wrote in an opinion piece for the Epoch Times that this episode has all the earmarks of a terrible institutional problem in nonprofits that we've seen many times before. All it takes is a remarkable public relations success and a big infusion of funds, plus a weak, jealous and confused board using disgruntled employees as shields for their misdeeds. Is he right? Is that what's happening here? Well, let's ask the question. Who, who, who are these people on the board of directors? Um, Matthew Termond is one. He's listed as a director in Project Veritas 2019 IRS filings. He has been accused by some of leading an internal coup d'etat within the organization, even prior to O'Keefe's departure. For example, Addy Ads on Twitter says Patrick Howley revealed today that Matthew Termond, Project Veritas board director and the leader of the coup against James O'Keefe, tried to get Howley to hand over control of one of his projects to him in the past. Yikes. Okay. Well, just allegations so far, but who is this guy? Well, he's described as an activist and commentator in both the Polish and American political arenas. A Newsweek profile published last Tuesday notes that he previously worked for Breitbart News and in 2021 lost a, le a years-long legal battle with a Polish journalist who described him as part of a global war against democracy. Ugh, sounds serious. After graduating from the University of Chicago, Termond went on to work as an equity researcher at Morningstar, Inc., until September 2001. A pivotal time. 
He briefly worked as a summer analyst at Bank of America before becoming an equity trader at SAC Capital, specifically focusing on healthcare portfolios. It's a booming industry. This specialty of healthcare carried over to a longer-term role at J. Goldman & Co., where he engaged in opportunistic trading across all sectors, utilizing analyst resources within the firm and reacting to breaking news. Those are his own words from his LinkedIn profile. All right. In September 2011, Tormond went to work as a portfolio manager at Miris Capital Partners, an early-stage venture capital firm founded by former mergers and acquisitions leaders at Google and Microsoft. Miris's portfolio around the time of Termond's employment included a few interesting companies, but the best-named one is surely Corona Labs, the leader in cross-platform smartphone app development. Today, the company's portfolio includes a wide variety of artificial intelligence startups and a notable focus on digitizing healthcare. A couple of these startups are, for example, Aromics, which pioneers the creation of tastes and smells using a quantitative measurement system developed with biotechnology, data science, and AI, informing product development and consumer preferences worldwide. How do you inform consumer preferences? Wouldn't you be informed by consumer preferences? Hmm. Um, another one is Ash Wellness, enabling at-home diagnostics for easy healthcare delivery. Now, I went on a little bit of a tangent in my research because I found that interestingly, so another venture capital firm invested in Ash is called Gangels, whose portfolio includes Prime Trust, a company used by FTX's Sam Bankman-Fried and Nishad Singh to launder political donations in 2022. Yet another investor is Altair Capital, whose portfolio includes several companies in the digital ID space, such as Global ID and SoCure. They are also invested in Corolor, a social web intelligence company based in Israel that delivers a new kind of web personalization and customer intelligence by applying bioinformatics, and machine learning to social data. A lot of fun buzzwords there. Um, how are they getting my bioinformatics? Okay. I withdraw my consent. Uh, so there you go. So that's that. Then in October 2012, Termond... Uh, well, starting in October 2012, he has worked in business development for various clients through Matthew Termond LLC. In May 2013, he became deputy director of American Transparency and its subsidiary, Open the Books. All right. On April 3rd, 2022, Termond appeared on the English language Polish show TVP World to discuss the Russian special military operation into Ukraine, which had, at that time, begun just over a month prior. Describing the motivations behind the invasion, Terman said this, I quote, Well, Lavrov, Putin, the entire Kremlin complex, including their vast misinformation, disinformation machine that's broadcasting all over the world, 
Their talking points have been entirely consistent, which is to demilitarize and denazify, which is certainly some disinformative wording, Ukraine. They've also been clear that they do not want to see Ukraine enter the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, NATO, or the European Union, end quote. This was in response to the interviewer's question about Ukraine's military buildup near Russia's border. Ukrainian forces have benefited from NATO training since the regime change in... Oh, wait, hold on. Can I play this? Probably not, right? Okay, that's fine. Um, since the regime change in 2014, which unfortunately has included openly self-described Nazi factions that have since integrated into the government and state military. Ukraine is not a Nazi state, and Ukrainians are not Nazis. It is, however, in small part, at least, controlled by Nazis. Whatever that word even means these days. Recall my uh, November 2022 episode titled Amnesty or Inquiry, in which I briefly summarized Project Aerodynamic, a program of the Office of Strategic Services and then the CIA, to recruit and train Ukrainian Nazi collaborators at the end of World War II for eventual use against Russia, a domestic insurgency. This isn't made up. It's not a matter of opinion or Russian spin, though no one can reasonably question the fact that this is ripe for Russian propaganda to take and run with to their heart's content. Turns out Nazis make all sorts of people nervous. I know they make me nervous, but again, that word has been so misused by everybody. What does that even mean anymore? Anyway, so, uh, yeah, and, and j just a reminder, because I know in particular, uh, my dad and I had a conversation about this uh, a year ago, where I pointed out, uh, it kind of looks like there are actual Nazis, like, carrying swastikas around, saying we are Nazis, and hailing, and things like that, and committing ethnic cleansing in certain parts of Russia. And at the time, um, uh, yeah, my, my dad sort of uh, waved it off. It didn't seem like it was something he was overly familiar with. And he pointed out, well, lots of regimes you like have worked with Nazis. And frankly, that's true. Uh, and my point is, that's not good. <laughs> and here's a headline. Canada failed when it trained Ukrainian troops linked to the far right, says Nazi hunter. The Canadian forces says it had no obligation to be entirely certain of the backgrounds of those soldiers it trained in Ukraine. Anyway, so that's just to say, this makes me sort of not trust his uh, foreign policy analysis as much as uh, as one might hope. So that's him. That's Matthew Termond. There's more to him. That's just a brief introduction. Now, moving on. Joseph Barton is another gentleman on the board of directors who formerly served as chair of the New Market Republican Committee. Barton was charged with resisting arrest after a physical confrontation at a polling station during the Newmarket, New Hampshire 2014 municipal election. He received a pardon 
for this in December 2018. Unfortunately, there's not much more I can find about him. I'm sure he's a better man uh, than is being made out here, but I believe this is uh, all true, and it's a shame this is all I could find. Now, the next guy is significantly more uh, flamboyant. Not flamboyant. What's the word? Out there. Uh, Steve Alembic. He's another board member. His LinkedIn profile lists him as being, let's start off with some really good stuff. He, a longtime donor to Barton's Boosters, a group that raised funds to build the Wayne Barton Study Center in Boca Raton, Florida. Looks like it's a community center, um, uh, mostly to help the uh, the young black community, it looks like. Um, looks like they do great stuff. Uh, other donors to the center include Bank of America. The Columbus Foundation, Fidelity Charitable, J.P. Morgan Chase, the Sunbeam Foundation, the Schmidt Family Foundation, and Walmart. So that's that's the good stuff. But Steve primarily is the founder of SMA Communications, which he founded in March 2006. It is a big data company that sells, quote, custom data files with email records, cell phone records, and other information on consumers, voters, donors, veterans, gun owners, and almost any demographic needed to find the best target audience group, end quote, for political and corporate clients. They claim to own data for, I don't know what it was, hundreds of thousands of people, I think. Uh, some of their clients currently include Let's see. We have Diamond and Silk. I believe Silk. Oh, I don't want to misquote. Unfortunately, one of them passed away. Very sad. Uh, Newsmax, Project Veritas. So the Second Amendment Foundation and Truth About Israel. And there's even more on the screen here. And this is a decent representation of a certain brand of modern Republican, it seems. The pro-Trump but DeSantis-leaning cultural conservatives. How's that for an educated guess from a Canadian liberal? Uh, I digress. Uh, going further back and finishing out this list as well reveals a more openly institutional client base, especially further back in the archive. And this includes a couple of major charities and even left-leaning media organizations and the United States government itself. Just days before the 2016 election, SMA's client page boasted the logos of Allstate, Cadillac, Experion, Lexus, NBC Universal, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, otherwise known as PETA, the Smithsonian Institution, United Cerebral Palsy, the United States Capitol, at least that's what the picture shows there, uh, the United States Chamber of Commerce, United States Senate, and Vietnam Veterans of America. Between 2016 and now, additional clients have included Charlie Kirk's Turning Point USA, the National Rifle Association, the Tea Party, Breitbart, The Blaze, and the Zionist Organization of America. SMA also has a page which is specifically dedicated to philanthropy which lists the organizations to which the firm has contributed financially. Some of the logos are on the screen, but the ones, the recipients that I found most interesting 
on this list include the Alzheimer's Association, American Cancer Society, American Israel Public Affairs Committee, American Jewish Committee, American Red Cross, Boca Raton Regional Hospital, Child Rescue Coalition, Cleveland Clinic, Covenant House Florida, Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, Doctors Without Borders, Friends of the Israeli Defense Forces. That's the Israeli military. The Jewish National Fund, Joe DiMaggio Children's Hospital, Khan Academy. I believe some of Matthew's colleagues either founded that or were early on. Kiva, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, National Geographic Society, Pediatric Brain Tumor Foundation, Project Veritas Action. So there you go. This company is itself a donor to Project Veritas. Salvation Army USA, Truth About Israel, Turning Point USA, The White Helmets, Wikipedia, and the Zionist Organization of America. Finally, SMA Communications has contributed to several political action committees uh, in the 2020 election cycle, including EPAC, in support of Elise Stefanik for the House of Representatives in New York. The firm was hired as well by the American Liberty Fund during that same cycle, and former Project Veritas chief commercial officer, Russell Verney, is a board member of the American Liberty Fund. So there you go. That's, that's, some, that's some interesting material there, I think. We've learned a couple of new things. But is this the real story? Does any of this explain it? Matthew has pointed to my reporting from earlier this month as a smoking gun for the real story behind the Project Veritas debacle. It's what got us kicked off YouTube, at least temporally speaking. The notion that Jordan Tristan Walker's boss, Shuang Sarawu, appears to have formerly worked for a company whose flagship product is intended to repair damaged immune systems is mind-blowing. Throw in the fact that the company, Selecta Biosciences, was incubated by the same venture capital firm as Moderna, which is flagship pioneering, and shares co-founders with Moderna. Throw that together, we've got some tasty icing on that cake. But that alone is obviously not the whole story. That would be far too simple. This is just an interesting, if possibly telling, piece of the puzzle. It's also not proof of anything. It doesn't demonstrate collusion between pharmaceutical companies or foreknowledge of an impending explosion in escape variants of an infectious virus or acquired autoimmune diseases. Now, it doesn't prove any of that. It only suggests it. But when you add the excellent work of George Webb, and Mark Kulag, the picture gets a little bit clearer. I've pulled up George Webb Task Force Orange Journal. Headline, O'Keefe's only crime was journalism about Jordan Walker and Boston Consulting Group. I got into a Twitter exchange with Mark of Housatonic Live and a few others, including Matthew. I'll read these out for you. Mark says, the risk of attention on remdesivir is what got James O'Keefe fired. Remdesivir murder is such a big story that people will be assassinated for saying too much. 
Matthew responds, Mark, I'm missing something on this one. What's the connection? What got rounding the earth kicked off YouTube was Liam Sturgis finding that Walker's superior was linked to a company that appeared to be after profiting, appeared to be after profiting from repairing vaccine damage. And then our friend Kate Smiley responded, Matthew, this is a pretty good explanation. George Webb has done good research. So let's just see if we can watch a minute or two of this video. Let me know if the audio still comes through, right? So what has changed in the last three weeks? What has changed? The only thing that has changed is that we broke the biggest story in our organization's history. You know that one I'm talking about? Pfizer. The, week, the last week of January with 50 million views that like broke the record by like 10 X. Our video became a global phenomenon. Hey, uh, Grant. Hey, James. Um, I was just wondering if James, I had a chat with, uh, uh, Matt uh, Termond, and he wasn't aware of the Boston Consulting Group paper that uh, Jordan Walker worked on, and I said I posted it. It's uh, was in the early days of COVID, March eighth, um, and it really was the thing that kind of solidified uh, remdesivir as a treatment uh, for the American Hospital Association. And there was a team of four people, Boston consulting group worked on. And I was just wondering if you if you had a chance to see that paper, it's called the near-term outlook for COVID therapeutic treatments that he worked on. Have you seen that or no? Yes, I, I have it. I'm looking at it right now. The near-term COVID, this is Boston consulting group. Um, I might just tweet out the first few pages of this. It's, it's a seven pages. I can tweet out each image of that. Um, I have looked at it. I haven't read the whole paper. But it's the first of two articles on the outlook for I'm reading from the first paragraph on potential timing of treatments and vaccines for COVID. This is the first paragraph of the article authored by Jordan Walker for Boston Consulting Group. It reads, quote, the goal is to provide practical assessments of the healthcare industry's efforts for business leaders and public health officials who need to plan for the future of their companies and communities. It's based on broader research conducted by Boston Consulting Group Scientist Network which comprises more than 500 individuals around the world with advanced PhDs and MDs relevant private sector experience. So this Boston Consulting Group is no low-level thing. The co-authors here are Siren Lawler, Ahad Wahid, and Josh Keller. So I will go ahead and tweet out uh, these screenshots of the document. I don't know if you had any other thoughts on the document. Yeah, sure. I, I, I think there's a whole bunch of uh, light that'll be shed here and us working together here. And I can explain how I think uh, Jordan is working at Pfizer, like you say, and involved in all these uh, things as a, as a contractor, as a in-place contractor at uh, Pfizer. But I want to get to the, the other three players because they're really important. One that's Josh Keller is actually a managing partner and his, uh, he manages the healthcare practice there as well as the biopharma practice and Boston Consulting Group, as you said, is the number one consulting firm, specialty consulting firm, right, for, for Biofarm. And he made a presentation to the American Hospital Association about remdesivir and Gilead uh, about eight days or 10 days after uh, the FDA gave the emergency approval 
uh, for um, for remdesivir, and it really kind of codified and institutionalized remdesivir as this kind of monster treatment for all these people. We had a, a gal that uh, 40 days, she was put on a vent and then died. Uh, you know, we just did a story on that. So um, the, it, um, I gave this to Grant. Do you, do you think, I mean, you know, the guy in the film yells, I'm a contractor, I'm a contractor, I'm a contractor. Um, do you think he might be kind of telling you that he was, he's both? He's both working at Pfizer. He has a Pfizer badge. He's in the Pfizer directory, but he's really working for B. Uh, the, and the reason I say this is Boston Consulting Group has a big partnership with the WEF, and they are pushing the WEF agenda. Um, well, according to um, uh, Jordan Walker's resume, which I'm looking at, he left Boston Consulting Group in June of 2021 and started Pfizer in June of 2020 to present day. So when he says I'm when he was screaming things at me in the restaurant, he could have meant that he was a he was a consultant um, and kind of just sort of speaking off the cuff there. I'm just a consultant. And he worked there for a number of years. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know how to, how to interpret those words, but he has been a consultant for Boston and he's currently a director for Pfizer. So I made a trip to uh, in the last couple of days to all these places, Moderna, and I went to Boston uh, Consulting Group, and I uh, went to the uh, various. I uh, read up on the lawsuit between Moderna and Pfizer, and looked at kind of all the background in this and the partners. And the other guy, uh, Josh, or Ciaran, I guess it's an Irish name like uh, like your name. Um, uh, is C I A R A N, and his last name, I believe, is uh, Lawler. He's he's a real top guy in automation of what they call directed evolution, and he worked for a long time and wrote papers for Moderna, and so he's kind of had the inside track on this technology uh, from DARPA and Moderna, and he made a presentation, or this group made a presentation, or at least I have reason to believe this group made a presentation about what you're what you've claimed, which is directed evolution. And at the Pearl River um, plant that uh, Pfizer has added, the $470 million new plant that they've got about 25 miles outside of New York. And I wanted to uh, just, I, I know I've talked to a few Project Veritas people and they've kind of hinted at the Pearl River, you know, bomb is about ready to drop. And I just wanted to see if you wanted to comment on that. I don't know what a Pearl, what is a Pearl River bomb? Oh, Pearl River is a city uh, 25 miles outside of New York, and that's where Pfizer built their uh, $470 million new automated test line. But but someone mentioned this earlier about the vaccines um, have potentially a gain-of-function element in them. And when they do, they morph and they mutate faster than they might have otherwise. Uh, could, it's called... Yeah, and I know, I know that Pearl River is a city in New York. I just didn't know what... Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. no problem. Well, um, I, I, I have I have reason to believe, and this supports your reporting, that this team, this team of four that wrote this paper, really to inculcate, uh, you know, uh, remdesivir into all of our hospitals, the AHA. You know, once they say this is the standard of care, then no one can, you know, backtalk or otherwise they can pull your Medicaid funding. So they have quite a hammer. The other guy who was on this uh, Wahid or Walid is a, a top uh, doctor, um, I'm sorry, Wahid, Ahad Wahid at Boston Consulting Group. 
And, and he was kind of the guy who supposedly was going to be presenting to the AMA and the doctors. And, and once the, once the doctors uh, get threatened, they, to pull their license, they, they can't fight the remdesivir. So I'm all for the Pfizer stuff you're doing. And, and, and I think that's awesome. And I think I'm all for going after Moderna as well. But this, I think this is the smoking gun here in this story. And I think it explains why uh, Jordan is kind of both. He's kind of an on-site guy managing this presentation that was given by Lawler. Um, and the Lawler, Lawler's presentation was this directed evolution. If you remember, uh, I think in your interview with him or this, the hidden camera interviews, didn't he mention that directed evolution uh, phrase or am I wrong on that? Yeah, those were his words. Again, I didn't make these. You said I made claims. I don't make any claims. I'm just quoting the guy. But you said that these I'm I'm tweeting this out right now so our audience knows what the hell is going on. This is a Boston consulting group paper that was unearthed on the interwebs. And it's a Boston. It's been confirmed. It's a paper that Jordan Walker was was one of four authors. And tell us again, Josh Keller. And yeah, Josh Keller, Siren Lawler, and Ahed Wahid. Who are those people again? They're the three co-authors, and they're really the senior partners on this uh, paper. Uh, I, I went over to Tufts, and I went over to uh, Massachusetts General, and those parts of of uh, Jordan Walker's uh, kind of resume fell apart. They didn't; they'd never seen him at Mass General. Uh, he had washed out in a year. In his, he didn't even get into the urology uh, fellowship or the internship. So he had washed out there and went to the timing is also suspect. He went to in October of 2019, he went over to Boston Consulting Group and then he did this intensive Mandarin course like that he was going to be the welcome wagon for these Chinese students that were coming in. Um, these hospitals were the same hospitals where uh, the DARPA was bringing back um Michael Callahan from DARPA was bringing back blood samples and they were being analyzed at Mass General, uh, Boston uh, College. And, and you also, said Josh is a partner at BCG? Yes, Josh Keller. Uh, Josh He's currently Keller, a partner. Yes, a managing partner, yes. And and, and, uh, and Kieran Lawler, who, who is he? He's the kind of the technical brains behind directed evolution and he uh, worked in the Moderna practice uh, work for Moderna in high-speed automation. This is what WFEF is pushing. They want to obsolete all the existing egg-based and subunit-based uh, stuff. Aaron Lawler worked for for who? Moderna. Moderna. Does he currently work for Moderna? No, he he currently works for Boston uh, uh, Consulting Group. But what 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 I'm saying is is they made the presentation about directed evolution to. Pfizer and Pfizer may or may not. I have reason to believe they did act on it. Thermos, uh, Thermo Fisher Scientific Equipment at the Pearl River plant, and basically it's a way of speeding up evolution. And what I see happening in the marketplace is they're mixing gain of function. Gain of function is m making something you know more deadly with Fauci, and gain of function is bad. But there are uses of directed evolution, which can help make sure that you're, uh, you, you basically simulate a virus going from person to person to person a hundred times. So you kind of simulate what human transmission would be. And then you predict whether your vaccine would be effective against the mutation. 
the probable mutations. So it's it's not it it's not like gain of function we're going to make. Hey, hey George, George, sure. let me let me ask you so we don't turn this into a vaccine room or gain of function room. What, sure. what, how important is the kind of journalism you and James are doing? I think it's absolutely fundamental. And I, I want to say this about James. I, I'm a big fan. Uh, your thing with Zucker uh, was absolutely huge. I mean, when with the, you know, the, the conference calls and how they did search and destroy journalism and how they did, um, you know, vigilante assassination journalism to go get independent journalists. That was I never was more proud of anybody. Head of CNN, Jeff Zucker. He published all. Jeff Zucker had these Monday morning drone meetings where they were going to go kill independent journalists, you know, phys- uh, figuratively, not physically. And the guy who brought that story to you was James O'Keefe, Project Veritas. Thank you. Thank you for uh, pointing out. Just one one fact check on on Sear and Lawler. You said he knows about directed evolution. How do you know that? Is that in the paper or is that just something that you've researched or, or found in his background? There's a paper that he wrote in 2015. It was sent to me by another journalist, uh, Mark Kulak, um, and I will get that to you or I'll, I'll just post it. I posted just a screenshot of my Twitter, which is real George Webb one. So he wrote about directed evolution in the past. Uh, no, the WEF has a thing called tech automation for uh, that they're pushing. Uh, sort of the robotization of healthcare uh, drug discovery. And he is the expert at BCG. I, I need to um, just talk with you now. I need to go get the, the paper. But he is the directed evolution guy at, uh, the, to my belief right now. And I need to prove yeah. it to you. Yeah. All right. Very good. Um, and, and we know that he worked for Moderna. This is the reason. Sounds why like you're trying to score a story right now, James. Are well, you? I mean, I, are you, what, are you what trying to score a story right now? Well, always, I'm, that's what I do. That's what I do uh, all the time. <laughs> I'm not. I'm interested. Goddamn, in I'm trying. I'm trying to raise Listen, money for you, and you're trying I, well, to cop that, a story that, from but, fucking but, but, George. But that is raising money from for you for us because it's showing the world what it is that I do, and and actions speak louder than words. So, I I believe that by doing this exercise, um, the journalists and I you hate to call them journalists, Grant, because they're not doing journalism, but the journalists are actually making the argument that they cannot confirm this guy's identity. When there's literally an academic research paper that Jordan Walker has authored, and it's co-authored by Boston consulting guys and Moderna guys about directed evolution, that that's important information for the public to know. And I'm tweeting that out right now, the paper itself with the authors. So there you go. As I explained to Matthew, I think, where am I? I think James O'Keefe went outside the comfort zone of someone with influence at Project Veritas when he introduced the Boston Consulting Group into the story. There exists within any media organization a system of checks and balances to ensure that the output is of high quality and obviously legally sound so you don't get sued successfully. But as we can see in the previous video, okay, O'Keefe appears to be earnest in his questioning of George Webb's information, leading to him tweeting out the Boston Consulting Group paper on which Jordan Tristan Walker is a co-author. Unless the video, put together by The Duke Report, was somehow edited to deceive viewers 
which is possible. It seems he legitimately published the information of his own accord and without the oversight or review of Project, Verita Project Veritas's board of directors. In the end, I think this is what did him in and likely resulted in the termination of Rounding the Earth's YouTube channel. It's not that Selecta Biosciences or the Boston Consulting Group are specifically and most notably pulling the strings. It's that in both instances, a curtain was pulled back that was not supposed to be touched. What lays behind it are lesser known people and organizations who have a vested interest in maintaining their positions outside of the spotlight. But I had to Google this to find the provenance of the quote, and I found what I think is correct. As Louis D. Brandes said in 1913, sunlight is the best disinfectant. So let's shine on, baby. Okay, everyone, thank you for tuning in to Rounding the News. Uh, brought to you by Rounding the Earth. If you have enjoyed the show today, definitely go to roundingtheearth.local.com where we've been having a wonderful chat and there's lots for me to look into based on stuff uh, that we've been talking about over there. And by the way, that includes questioning whether what I've just said, whether the story that George Webb presents is itself reasonable or accurate. He gives a lot of details that themselves can't be taken at face value. And uh, there's some other journalists, for example, Johnny Vedmore, perhaps, may have uh, an alternative perspective on George Webb as a journalist. And I, I like both of them. So I got more to look into. My point is, come join us and have these discussions at roundingtheearth.locals.com. You can sign up as a free member and stay, uh, stay in touch with us. Keep up to date with everything that uh, we have coming out um, and become a paid subscriber if you want to. Uh, well, support us first and foremost, uh, keep me on the payroll and get access to our weekly exclusive live streams. Um, and yeah, I hope you've had a wonderful time. Um, you can also, of course, roundingtheearth.substack.com where Matthew continues to write the flagship series of Rounding the Earth. And you can find me at liamsturgis.com where I'm hopefully going to be getting into some uh, some more music uh, related activities soon because that's a whole part of me I haven't had a chance to share with you guys yet and I think it's about time but in the meantime thank you again and we will see you for a couple videos over the next couple of days be well stay healthy and keep on flattening